Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Dirt Radio. Organic. Friends of the Earth. Activism. Underground. Political action. Necessary. Wind farms. Indigenous struggles. Land rights. Anti-nuclear. Nanotechnology. Climate change. Coal barons. Mining magnates. Activists. Educating. Communities. Transforming. Communities. Mobilising a sustainable planet. Get involved now. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. Good morning, this is Dirt Radio. I'm your host, Phil Evans, coming at you pre-recorded from the unceded land of the Wurundjeri people in the Kulin Nation and acknowledging the important role that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people play in environmental and social justice struggles. Of course, Dirt Radio is the Friends of the Earth show on 3CR, and this is where we dig in deep into environmental and social justice issues going on around at Friends of the Earth and in the wider grassroots community. Today on the show, we're going to look at climate change and Pacific Island sovereignty. So we know that current scientific information and predictions about the pace and impacts of climate change indicate that there may be a limitation to resilience and adaptation measures in response to such impacts as rising sea levels, extreme weather events and ocean warming and acidification. This scenario is becoming an increasing concern for Pacific Island nations, especially Kiribati, the Marshall Islands and Tuvalu, um, who are comprised almost entirely of atolls. Recently, Friends of the Earth joined with the Pacific Islands Council of Queensland to put on a conference about climate change challenges to the cultural identity and sovereignty of Pacific Atoll nations. Today on the show, we're going to be hearing a presentation that was made by the Honourable Simon Coffey, who is the Foreign Affairs Minister of Tuvalu, as a part of that conference that happened back on the 22nd and 23rd of July. That'll be coming up soon on Dirt Radio, but for now, let's go to a couple of community service announcements. Nuclear armed states are talking big and spending up with no intention to disarm. The Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons provides a pathway out of this mess, and it's up to us to get our government on board. Tune in to ICANN's Banned School to learn more and be part of History in the Making. It's five online sessions from June to September. Check it out and enroll at icanw.org.au forward slash band school. That's icanw.org.au forward slash band school. The international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons is a 3CR supporter. Common Social Change Library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change. It collects, curates and distributes the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around Australia and across the globe. The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, community organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion and much, much more. 
It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Common Social Change Library is a 3CR supporter. Yes, you're on 3CR. This is Dirt Radio with Phil Evans here. Today, we are talking about climate change and Pacific Island sovereignty. And as I mentioned just before, we're going to hear a bit of a presentation by the Honourable Simon Coffey, who is the Foreign Affairs Minister on Tuvalu and was a special guest that we had at that conference back in July that we co-organised with the Pacific Islands Council of Queensland. Prior to entering Parliament, Coffey served as a senior magistrate of Tuvalu and earned a Bachelor of Laws degree from the University of South Pacific. He has a master's degree in international maritime law from the University of Malta. And what rising sea levels and climate change have to do with Pacific Island sovereignty from an international law perspective? Let's take a listen to that presentation delivered back in July on 3CR. I'm a, I'm a lawyer by profession, so um, I'll be, be focusing more on the legal issues and the legal implications of climate change on, on statehood, uh, and also the implication on, on maritime zones. As we understand, uh, maritime zones are entitlements that states uh, have under the United Nations Convention on the, the Law of the Sea. And I'll briefly also uh, explain some of the, the initiatives that Tuvalu has uh, undertaken in regards to really strengthening our position both on the national level and regionally and, and internationally. What is a state under uh, international law? This question is not entirely clear. There isn't a consensus on uh, on, on the criteria for, for, for statehood, although there, there is a convention, the Montevideo Convention, which I will discuss very briefly after, after this. And it seems that under state practice, how states have behaved in the past, that statehood is really attributed by recognizing states. It comes down to, to more political considerations. But the, the closest thing we have to, I guess, to, to, to a definition or to a criteria for, for statehood is that which is laid out in the Montevideo Convention on the Rights and Duties of, uh, of States. Under the convention, a state must have a permanent population. A state must also have a defined territory, a government that has effective control over that territory. And lastly, a state must have capacity to enter into relations with other states. And so by looking at that definition, uh, we, we can see quite clearly the implications of, of climate change and, and sea level rise on countries like Tuvalu and, and other vulnerable countries in, in, in the Pacific and, and around the world. As we know, climate change could make our islands uninhabitable, forcing us to, to, to relocate, even to the extent that our territories, our physical territories, are, are fully submerged. And so the, the question then arises is, can a state still exist in the absence of a population and, and a physical territory? So these are the legal issues or the legal challenges that we see because of, of, of climate change. And so before I, I get into answering that, that question and, and to looking at how we can actually resolve this dilemma that we have with, with statehood, I'll quickly just jump to, to the issue of maritime zones, because I, I feel these are issues that, that are connected. What are the legal implications or what are the legal issues around our maritime boundaries and our maritime zones. For most of you, you'd be aware that under the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea, countries are entitled to maritime zones that are measured from baselines. And we're entitled to a territorial sea that is measured up to 12 nautical miles, uh, an exclusive economic zone that is measured up to 200 nautical miles. 
Now, these maritime zones are, are measured from a baseline, and, and a baseline is defined on the UNCLOS as the, the, the low water mark. So when the tide is, is low, the, the measure of the baseline is taken from the low water mark. The challenge, the, I guess the legal cha challenge, is, as, as most of you would know from this definition, is that with, with sea level rise, the, the low water line would then shift over, over time because of, of climate change and causing the, the, the sea levels to, to rise. So the question then is, does that affect the outer limits of our maritime zones if the low water mark is, is, is shifting? Uh, under UNCLOS, it's not very clear whether the baselines uh, shift or not. But again, it, it also can come down to how we interpret some of the provisions of UNCLOS. Are they in favor of, of retaining permanent baselines or, or, or otherwise? There's another provision also in, in UNCLOS that also poses a challenge for us. And that is in relation to rocks and islands that cannot sustain human habitation or economic life. UNCLOS says that if, if those islands cannot sustain life or economic life, then it is not entitled to, to maritime zones. And, and again, it comes back to this issue of if we were to, to relocate and leave our islands, could we still uh, be able to, to retain those maritime zones under UNCLOS? So under, I believe under international at the moment, there's, there's a lot of gray areas. And it's partly because when these instruments were negotiated, climate change was not so much an issue or was not taken into account when these provisions were negotiated. And so it, it, it's, it's an issue that uh, we, we need to look at. You're listening to 3CR, this is Dirt Radio, Phil Evans here, and we're listening to the Honourable Simon Coffey, who is the Tupaluan Minister for Justice, Communication and Foreign Affairs, and he's talking about international law and what rising sea levels and climate change have to do with Pacific Island sovereignty. This, of course, was a recording from a conference held by the Pacific Island Council of Queensland and Friends of the Earth via our Climate Frontlines project, looking at climate change challenges to cultural identity and sovereignty of Pacific Atoll nations. If you're enjoying this particular um, excerpt, I found it really fascinating at this conference. We'll be featuring quite a few of the presentations over the coming weeks and months in the lead up to the COP26 international negotiations on climate change, looking in particular at this topic, international law and what the international community can do in terms of mitigating uh, some of the climate impacts. We know we're on the path to 1.5 degrees, already at 1.1 degree warming, so urgent action is needed and this conference will be really important. Coming up in this presentation, uh, Kofi will look at some of the actions that Tuvalu have actually already taken in terms of shaping customary international law. It's a great listen, so please stick around on Dirt Radio for the rest of this presentation. So coming back again to, to the question I posed, can, can we have a state without permanent population or a territory? Or how do we resolve this, our entitlements to our maritime zones? There are two approaches by which we can address this. The, the first approach is to interpret or to reinterpret existing rules and state practice in favor of retaining statehood and, and our maritime zones. And so I'll, I'll briefly talk about some of the existing provisions that under uh, international law that would favor this, this proposition that our, our statehood is permanent, our maritime zone, zones entitlements are also permanent. The, the second approach, uh, which is also a, a very important approach, and it's something that is within every nation's power to do, and that is to to propose or to initiate a change to the international law framework to accommodate states that are affected by climate change. On the first, first approach, 
under the Montevideo Convention, there is also a provision that provides that once recognition is given, then that recognition is irrevocable. So it's a basis on which we can also argue that once recognition is given by other states, that that recognition cannot be, be withdrawn. And so this really highlights, again, the importance of the political considerations and, and how we are establishing diplomatic ties and recognition from other states as to our, our statehood. Under the UN Charter as well, the, the once you become a member of the UN, the only ground for expulsion is persistent violation of, of the Charter. Uh, so again, that, that could be a basis on which we, we can argue that the only way you get expelled once you've, you've become a member of the UN is if you violated the Charter. And there's no mention here of the criteria for statehood about losing territory or having to, to relocate your whole population because of, of, of climate change. The other areas that we, we could also argue is, is to look at state practice, how states have behaved in the past. And one concept that is uh, very much recognized under international law is, is the concept of a government in exile. As, as we know that often in, in countries that, that there are civil unrest or civil wars or invasion from, from other countries, that a, gov a government has been forced to, to operate in exile, to operate from a different country. And so the, the concept of government in exile seems to, to, to propose that you can be recognized on the international stage, even if you don't have effective control over your territory at that time. Uh, and there are many examples in the past where countries have recognized a government in, in exile. The other concept under international law is a deterritorialized uh, states. And, and I think we'll remember from World War One and World War Two, where some of the European countries that were invaded by other countries continued to be recognized, or at least by the Allies uh, during, during that time. So these two concepts, I believe, it really comes down again to recognition. Uh, and, and this is where I, I argue that under international law is not very clear the, the criteria because the practice by states is, is different in looking at the, the existing international law framework and finding ways that we can interpret or reinterpret provisions to really support the, the proposition that statehood is, is permanent and that our entitlements to our maritime zones are, are also permanent. The second approach is, is really to, to propose or to initiate a change to the international law framework to accommodate states that are affected by, by climate change. There's a, there's a concept that's been put forward by a, a professor Burkett, a law professor. She coined this concept of nation in ex situ. And uh, what it really is, is a concept that, that looks to preserving and promoting the interests of a deterritorialized state. And ex situ is, is defined as a as nationhood, as a, as a status that allows the, the continuity of, of existence, even when a state has lost its, its territory. Under the such an arrangement, as the professor explains, is that an arrangement for, for an authority or, or government that would be elected by a registered voter of the deterritorialized state to act as trustees of the assets of the state and to represent the interests of the state on the on the international plane. The the other concept is a digital nation, and it's something it's, it's a it's a concept that we are developing at the moment in in, in Tuvalu, whereby we're looking at digitizing all our uh, our services, whether it be through e-governance e-commerce, all our processes to, to be digitized and to be on the cloud. This approach, I believe, also supports the, the notion that if it comes to a situation where we were to relocate as a nation or as a community, that our data, our services could continue, you know, could continue to operate from uh, anywhere in the world. And so we, we see that uh, ICT is, is a very important area, and it's an area where nations like Tuvalu is, is not limited by geography or by our distance from, from the markets, things that have always been a limitation to Tuvalu. 
that that has, has always defined us as as this vulnerable state. And so we see ICT as a, an opportunity for for Tuvalu. The, the other important issue in in this second approach in in how we initiate change in in, in international law is develop state practice that is consistent with our position to retain sovereignty and maritime entitlement, which in turn then contributes to the formation of customary international law by developing state practice that as Daishas, we look at our laws, we look at our policies, we look at agreements that we're entering into, and really putting forward the the proposition that we're arguing here about permanent statehood, that these things really need to be reflected on the national level. And it's something that we've been uh, encouraging for the, the Pacific Island countries, that we don't need to wait until other nations begin to recognize and support this notion. We can make a start by passing laws, passing policies that really reflects the, the positions that, uh, that, that I've highlighted here. International law can be defined as the, the body of rules established by treaty or through customs that governs the, the relations of states uh, existing within a very loose framework of, of laws. And as we know, there, there are limitations on the enforcement of, of some of these rules and international treaties, as we've seen many times, countries withdrawing from treaties, refusing to, to follow certain agreements. But the important aspect of international law that I, I feel is, is an area that we can make a very positive contribution is, is the customary international law. And, and customary international law is formed, or it is shaped by state practice, how states behave determined by by looking at their laws, by looking at their policies. And it becomes customary international law when that particular practice becomes widespread across uh, many nations. I feel that this is is an area that Tuvalu can can make a contribution to other countries that also have common interest in ensuring that our our laws and our policies are really in line with with what we're proposing on, on the international plane. Tuvalu insists that all countries forming relations with Tuvalu recognize the statehood of the nation as permanent and its existing maritime boundaries as set, even if Tuvalu loses its land territory due to sea level rise. And so this is a very important uh, policy, uh, not only for Tuvalu, but when you get other countries to, to recognize that, then it, it, it contributes to the, to, the, to the widespread adoption of these principles and these concepts. Uh, that we were talking about here. So um, we've, we've actually also developed uh, joint communiques, standardized our joint communiques to ensure that these principles are reflected in it. Um, and so we, we, that's something that we're also pursuing within, in our foreign, foreign office. The constitution is, is actually under review. And one important aspect we we're looking at is the definition of our territory. So under the existing provisions of the, the constitution, the, the provision provides very broad coordinates and says that anything within any land territory within those coordinates is the, the, the territory of, of Tuvalu. The, the proposed text is that the, the baseline coordinates declared under the Maritime Zones Act shall remain unchanged, notwithstanding any regression of the low water mark until and unless otherwise prescribed by an act of parliament. We have to ensure that our, our national laws as a first step is reflective of the proposition that we're pushing on the, on the international stage. And it removes this sense of waiting for other states to, to come on board. And it really puts the onus on us as, as, uh, as countries, as nations in the Pacific to, to be more proactive. Uh, and I believe the more countries, the more states that, that adopt this approach, uh, we are contributing. We're contributing to the formation of customary international law uh, that would really support and cater for the situation that we are we are in. You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR. 
Yes, you are indeed. And in particular, this is Dirt Radio Show. And what we were just listening to was a presentation by the Honourable Simon Coffey, who was the Foreign Affairs, what is the Foreign Affairs Minister for Tuvalu. And he was talking at a conference held back in July, hosted by Friends of the Earth and the Pacific Island Council of Queensland around the climate change challenges to cultural identity and sovereignty of Pacific Atoll nations. You're listening to Dirt Radio, um, and if you are enjoying the show, then please think about jumping onto the 3cr.org.au website and subscribing and becoming a part of Radical Radio. Of course, we exist purely on the whim of listeners and subscribers like you. So if you do like Dirt Radio and like hearing some of the voices that you hear on here, you don't always hear on mainstream media, particularly some of the ideas we discuss, then please support Radical Radio and become a subscriber today. Now, keen followers of the climate justice movement will know that the COP26 negotiations are coming up in November in Glasgow this year. And there's increased pressure on Australia to increase its emission reduction target for 2030. We know that the United States and the UK recently have increased their targets to 50 uh, to 63 percent by 2030. But Australia's current 2030 target is just 26 to 28 percent. And we're set way back in 2015 when Tony Abbott was Prime Minister. So you can imagine there wasn't particularly a high level of ambition going on now. The world has changed immensely since then. Not only have we battled through the presidency of Donald Trump, who really did so much to reverse climate action globally, but we've got new hope now, with Joe Biden putting it as one of the more front and centre priorities for the United States administration. Even Conservative Prime Minister Boris Johnson has a higher target than our own Scott Morrison. So Friends of the Earth are asking, will the Morrison government take a strong target to the summit or stick with a weak target sent by Tony Abbott over half a decade ago? And if you agree with this call, we've got an open letter to sign to Scott Morrison asking him to match Boris and Biden's climate targets for the COP26. So you can jump onto actonclimate.org.au forward slash match underscore Boris underscore and underscore Biden. And I'll put that link in the show notes so you can join it and be part of making sure that Australia goes to these important international negotiations with a strong target to make sure that we're doing our part to mitigate climate change. As we heard, it's having a huge impact on our Pacific island neighbours, in particular those atoll nations like Tuvalu and Kiribati and the Marshall Islands. So it's really important that we all play our part as one of the highest per capita emitters of greenhouse gases in the world. This has been another episode of Dirt Radio. This one recorded at home. I'm sitting in my bedroom working, much like many of you, I imagine. Um, Big thanks and a shout out to all the frontline workers, whether you be someone who is out there cooking food, stocking shelves in supermarkets or markets around the place, um, and especially those who are working the front line in the health industries. We send you big love and huge gratitudes from all the people at Friends of the Earth and I know everyone at 3CR as well. Stay safe, everyone. Uh, We can get through this together. 
And to finish up the show, let's go back to the dance laws of 1991. Hope to head back to a dance law soon. And here from the future sound of London, this is a track called Papua New Guinea, uh, featuring samples from Dead Can Dance, a good favourite of mine. Enjoy, kick off the shoes, have a little boogie if you need to, and stay safe, everyone. Phil Evans signing out. You're on 3CR. Stick around for Billabong Beats. I'll see you next week.